What does it mean to be blessed? I participated in a biker blessing before. It's where motorcyclists fill up a church parking lot and, they, and they're in three or four lines and at the front of each line is a pastor of, or on staff at that church. And then like going through the drive-thru, you know, these lines, the, the first bike goes up and they're all, they, they head up to the pastor and the pastor puts his hand on the shoulder of the rider of the bike and says a prayer for safety and such. I've sneezed before and had people say, God bless you, and I say that to people and they sneeze too, even total strangers. Uh, here in Texas, we say things like, bless her heart, and it's not always a compliment. So, so what does it mean to be blessed? Today we're going to look at the Beatitudes of Jesus, which is the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. And Beatitude is a word from the Latin word for blessed. Our people who are doing our personal Bible reading plan here at Holy Word Pflugerville have uh, spent some time already this week in the, in the Sermon on the Mount and, and put these sticky notes together to uh, show one of a, a word or phrase in, in that particular section that is the most meaningful to them. So if you can see these, you probably don't have to listen to my sermon because they said it better. But if you can't see them, then you've got to listen. Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Um, at a time when his popularity was rising, it was early in his ministry, and so kind of as this new thing on the stage, people were very interested, uh, and almost even obsessed, with who is this guy? Where did he come from? Is this, could this be the promised Messiah? They were obsessed with that question. And it's very interesting that at the beginning of his ministry, how he answers that question is not by performing a dazzling miracle in front of everybody's eyes. And it's not telling this gripping parable that changes their perspective. How he answers that question, at least for this moment, is by speaking the Beatitudes. Proverbial principles. As if he's giving his philosophy for life, like, like a president might, might give a, a campaign platform of some kind, right? Jesus is saying, this is what it's all about if I'm in charge. Except, let me tell you this. The Beatitudes are really a lot less about how you live the good life and a lot less about how to be a good person. And they're a lot more about the good heart of a good Savior who has good things in mind for us. If you understand the Beatitudes, you understand Jesus. That's how that works. So let's, uh, let's look at the Beatitudes. I'll read them. They're printed in the, in the worship folder. They'll also be uh, projected here. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Disciples here probably means lots of people, not just the twelve. Lots of followers. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. In my Bible, I have a note that I penned in there a long time ago that says, uh, in this section, it says, Beatitudes equal be happy attitudes. I don't like that definition anymore. And so I now have to scribble it out. Um, Because to be happy in our society today, maybe it meant that back then too, but I didn't realize it as much as I realize now. To be happy today pretty much means everything needs to go my way. And if it doesn't, I'm entitled. If it doesn't go my way, I have a right to be angry, to be irritable, to smash things. To post sarcastic memes on Facebook that cut you down because I'm, I'm not happy and I gotta let it out. I, I, the word happy, I think, should be stricken from the English language because it's just, it, it's hard to understand correctly. So I gotta, I'm crossing that out in my Bible. Um, it, I don't like that definition. Be happy attitudes. Some have uh, looked at that word blessed, you know, what does that really mean? And said, it it has the force of, in the original Greek, it kind of has the force of, oh, oh, how lucky you are. Kind of like that, but even luck is just, or or fortunate, even that word fortunate, it, it just means arbitrary, haphazard, good things happening to you. And Christian followers of Jesus don't believe in luck. Believers in God don't believe in, in fortune and karma. And so I, I don't like fortunate or lucky as words for that either. So let me tell you what my definition for being blessed is. It's being privileged by the mercy of an almighty God. Being blessed is having divine favor or grace. And that divine favor is not a reward. That divine favor is not a necessary outcome of particular circumstances. That that blessing is not a consequence of something that you did or thought or said. Yet at the same time, your consequences and your circumstances cannot prevent that blessing either. It's not a feeling. God is way bigger than our feelings, but, but blessings do come by faith to those who believe that they need them and want them. And that's where Jesus is coming from here. So I want the Beatitudes to change you today. 
I want the Beatitudes to, to change your, your outlook and how you view things and for you to walk out those doors from our service today a different person because you have come to know in the Beatitudes not just a set of behaviors but, but the Savior himself who gives them to us and speaks them to your heart for you to grab onto there and, and for you to believe. In three ways, I think we're going to look at this from three perspectives of Beatitudes today. In three ways that Jesus operates in his kingdom. Reverse, reassurance, and resilience. Those three things you will get from Jesus' Beatitudes. Let's talk about reverse first. When I am looking in the mirror and, and trying to pluck an ear hair out that doesn't belong there... And, and I'm in the mirror, and then I'm moving that tweezers to try to find that single ear hair sticking out. I always move the tweezers the wrong way. Right? Or when I'm helping my son move into his apartment, and we're trying to carry this mattress, and it's awkward, and it's a big queen-size mattress, and I end up being the one who's walking backwards up the steps, and I just, it's awkward. I can't walk very well. That's reverse. Reverse is the opposite of what you would, how you would function normally. This is the kingdom of God. This is Jesus. Jesus says, you know, if you want me involved, you're going to have to learn to think differently, and not just a little differently, like the opposite of what you would normally think. This is what reverse is all about, and this is all over in the Beatitudes. The kingdom of God doesn't operate according to our world's culture and principles. All right? And we know that, but it's hard to get that. Because we're so immersed in this world's way of thinking and way of operating. So here's our world's way of operating. Presidential executive orders can, with a simple signing with a pen by a new president, totally unravel and undo what a previous president had worked so hard for in a split second. That's power. The two toughest, strongest, most talented football teams in the NFL are left, and they dismantled the Steelers and the Packers last Sunday. It was, it was embarrassing. And they're going to be in the Super Bowl next Sunday. The most powerful of nations feels it has the right to tell other nations what weapons they can and cannot have. And the most powerful of companies in our world can influence national economies. And companies merge with other companies or sometimes take them over and it can be a, a friendly merger or a hostile takeover. This is our world. When you're tough, when you're strong, when you're big, you can bully other people. You can get, when you're influential, when you're connected, you can have your way. Money buys things. Money is power. Influence. This is, that's our world. Blessed are the tech giants. Blessed are the YouTube videos that go viral. Blessed 
are all the beautiful, perfectly shaped people on the front of magazines. you hear what Jesus is saying in these words? Do you see any of those people? Do you see any of those companies? Do you see any of those principles in these words as Jesus sits on the side of a mountainside and speaks to your heart and says, can you put the world aside just for now? Because I have something to say. And it's totally opposite. It's reverse of what you were reading before you walked up this mountain, and it's reverse of what you're going to hear when you walk down. And that's this. If your life, or a part of your life, or your pretend life, or the life that you think you should have, is anchored to any of these, is consumed by any of this, needs any of this to be happy, then you are farther from the kingdom of God than you think you are. Then you need to reverse. Then you need to repent. And a sign that you have taken to heart in repentance, Jesus' words, is this. You come to realize, to truly live by this understanding, that all of those things take more than they give. All of those things, when your life is consumed by them and defined by them, demand from you more than they pay. And stress more than they bless. That's a good indicator that you're living in repentance in a world that is consumed by them itself and wants us to be too. Now, here's the good news Jesus says you can get out of that. Jesus says that you can walk down the mountainside with what he has said and and it can so consume you that you escape everything around you that the world is trying to convince you of that that seems so important. And and there's not just an escape. It's not just surviving, but it's thriving. But you have to think in reverse. Can you do that? Can you trust when Jesus says, this is, this, you got to trust me, it's totally opposite than the way that you're seeing it. you got to trust me, it's totally opposite than, than 10 out of 10 friends at work are telling you the way it, it, it is in life. It's, it's the opposite of that. Can you, Jesus says, can you trust me? Now, I'm going to help you trust him. I'm not going to help you, but the Bible's going to help you because I want you to see this. The very one who is asking you to trust him, himself lived by the operational principle of reverse. He himself put him under the reverse of God. Let me, let me show you a few verses. So if you have your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Here's some verses. Let's call them reverses. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. 
But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might be rich. Now page back to 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verse 21. There's another reverse verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Isaiah 53, you probably recognize this one, right? Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Did Jesus believe in reverse? Did Jesus have to trust his Father when his Father said, No, there is no other way. It's the cross. It's death for you, my son. Through death there will be life. The very one who is speaking these words to you of the Beatitudes himself embodied the reverse principle of entrusted his Father. Can you trust him? When he says, blessed are, and the world says, no, they're not. And Jesus says, yes, they are. Trust him. That's why in our, in our discipleship process at Holy Word, we call it the four B's. The first B is believe. You need to be able to look at Jesus in these, in these words and not just say, oh, that's great. That's like a New Year's resolution. I'm going to practice that. I'm going to, I'm going to post it and remember it and do it. Before you behave or become, you have to believe in the one who is speaking to you here, these words, you have to trust him. You have to be willing to let him take your hand and follow him. And, and then you will understand and practice the Beatitudes. Uh, I was heavily influenced in the study this week of the Beatitudes by, a, by Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey is, is by his first professor. Uh, God bless you. Philip Yancey, by his uh, original career and profession, uh, was a journalist, uh, an investigative journalist at some times, and then he he started writing books and became a well-known Christian author. And uh, one of my favorite Philip Yancey books is called The Jesus I Never Knew. And Yancey, as an, like an investigative journalist, goes after the Beatitudes and, and kind of says, you know, I grew up in the church and they were presented. I never fully understood them. I, I still don't get them. But, I, but he investigates them and out of that comes some intriguing writing and helpful takeaways on his part about the Beatitudes. Um, so I'm going to share a few of those today. Um, he, he writes under the topic of reassurance. He says that he visited a group of of Bible linguists once. And these Bible linguists that were working on translating the Bible into foreign languages were meeting in the hot 
Arizona desert, and they convened in a, in a concrete brick building with a metal roof, and they were training to go out into other countries and, and go among those people and translate the Bible into their language and bring the gospel to them. Here's what Yancey writes. I was impressed with the dedication of these professional linguists who were preparing for a life of poverty and hardship in remote outposts. They loved to sing one song especially. So send I you to labor unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown. Listening to them, the thought occurred to me that the song had it slightly wrong. These missionaries were not planning to labor unrewarded. Rather, they endured certain hardships with the prospect of other rewards in mind. They served God, trusting in turn that God would make it worth their while, if not here, then in eternity. The Beatitudes are packed with reassurance but only for those who need it. So the subtitle of the Beatitudes probably shouldn't be um, Victorious are the tough. Successful are the triumphant. But how about Fulfilled are the victims. Reassured are people who need it. Think of the people in the Bible who seemed to gain Jesus' attention and, and his good attention, his mercy, his teaching, his quality time. An adulterous woman, a blind beggar, a nameless, nondescript, sick child, a rebellious son, a woman who had a string of five unhappy marriages, a widow who gave the last two cents that she had to live on. So strength and good looks and having connections and my garage filled with toys may be good things in this life, but according to Jesus, those things and the qualities around them can block the kingdom of heaven and serve as barriers. Instead, what Jesus turns us to are, are gates to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, dependence. Need for his mercy. Humility. Honesty. And that's what he focuses on in the, in the Beatitudes and in his divine way rewards in his divine favor and grace. And so... Maybe you're underprivileged. I shouldn't say maybe. We, I, we all are in our own way. Yet, yeah, you might be shorter than all the kids in your class. Maybe you're not 
you don't have that charm that extroverts have. You're not outgoing. You'd rather spend time at home reading a book than hang out with a crowd of people. And, and you don't command a room like most of the people you work with. Maybe you're having trouble paying the, paying the mortgage or the light bill or feeding the kids. Maybe you're a widow. Maybe you stutter. Maybe you're not as athletic as your brothers. Maybe you're, you're not as quick with your wit. Maybe you have anxiety. You get scared way too often and way too easily. Maybe you can't remember people's names like your business partner and he leaves you in the dust. How are you underprivileged? How about you stop trying to fix it? How about you stop trying to save yourself from however you are underprivileged and make it work out so that that's not an underprivilege anymore, but it's not going to work. Not if it's just up to you. That's what, that's what Jesus is trying to get you to say. How about if you can just be a misfit? How about if you can just be short? How about if you can just be slow? If you can just be a mistake? If you can just be weak? And trust that Jesus can fill in the rest and, and you'll be, you as the least, you will be great. I mean, look at the people to whom Jesus showed special concern in his life. He showed special concern to the underprivileged, to the poor, to the widows, to, the, uh, to, to those uh, unjustly accused and treated. And he, he saved them, he rescued them. Here's, another, here's a Yancey quote about this. Um, he says, Reassurance. Those who mourn, what does Jesus say? Will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. The hungry will be filled. The pure will see God. When you are nothing, then Jesus is your everything. All right, now here's Yancey. Dependence, humility, simplicity, and a sense of abandon are qualities greatly prized in the spiritual life, but extremely elusive for people who live in comfort. There may be other ways to God, but oh, they are hard, as hard as a camel squeezing through the eye of a needle. Human beings do not readily admit desperation, but when they do... The kingdom of heaven draws near. NFL greats, movie actors, successful politicians, hot personalities, right? Those are the kinds of people who dominate the media in our culture. And, and we just gawk over them. 
We pour ourselves out into them. We wear their clothing lines. We put their jersey numbers on us. We purchase their fragrance and spray it on ourselves. We want to use their toothpaste. And we, right, we just gawk over these personalities of this world. The stars of our society. And we want to be them. Don't be them. Yancey writes that uh, as a journalist, he had, has had plenty of opportunity and experience to interview the stars of society. And these are his words. He said, I have not seen a more messed up group of people in this world than those people. Most of them are on numerous marriages, having failed many times. Almost all of them are dependent on psychotherapy. And ironically, Yancey says, for as proudly and, and uh, strongly as they present themselves, they are a group that is, has the worst problems with low self-esteem than any other group I have ever seen in the world. Don't be them. Instead, be servants. Yancey says the same. He's had opportunity to, to interview and to spend time with servants, people of God who have given up careers to care for their spouses. Highly recognized professors and presidents of esteemed universities quitting their career to care for a 12-year-old nephew who's a paraplegic and his parents can't, not won't, but can't, aren't in a position to care for him. Medical rescue workers who leave a plush life in the United States to move to hidden villages in Africa. The veteran who is himself disabled, volunteering for the disabled American veterans. The veteran who himself struggles with PTSD, leading a, a, a therapy group for, for veterans who feel suicidal. People who rescue pets and people who rescue others. Those are the servants. Those are the people who are closer to the kingdom of God. Servants. So don't be like the stars. Be like the servants. Here's what Yancey writes. As I now reflect on the two groups side by side, stars and servants, the servants clearly emerge as the favored ones, the graced ones. Without a question, I would rather spend time among the servants than among the stars. They possess the qualities of depth and richness and even joy that I have not found elsewhere. Servants work for low pay, long hours, and no applause, wasting their talents and skills among the poor and uneducated, and somehow, though, in the process of losing their lives, they find them. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will see God.
When you are serving, and I'm talking here about volunteering in your church, I'm talking about caring for a loved one, I'm talking about sticking out a marriage and and hanging in there when when you think you are a victim of some kind and and your spouse like owes it to you I, when you feel overwhelmed unappreciated unrecognized and none of that is the fuel that is building you up and helping you keep going Jesus is saying It is then that you are closer to the kingdom of God than you think you are. And if you want to give up and escape it all and and go somewhere else, somewhere where you are built up and recognized and applauded and you feel better and there's not such struggle and anguish, it could very well be that in that place you are further from the kingdom of God than you think you are. Here's what makes the difference. These words come to us not from some philosopher. They, they come to us not as, as possible life proverbs handed down from the ancients. These words are coming to you from a man who is God, from your Savior who walked on this planet. And let me tell you this, I believe that Jesus could very well have conceived the Beatitudes as a sermon to himself as much as it is a sermon to you and me. Because he himself hungered for thirst hungered for righteousness and was thirsty for it he himself was oppressed he himself was persecuted he himself was tempted with impurity he himself walked in and was embodied by these beatitudes And he said them at the beginning of his ministry and he lived them throughout his ministry and then he went to the cross And through the cross, he found resurrection. Through death, he found life. He is a a Savior who who lived in both worlds, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. Can you trust him? Will he lead you, ever lead you wrongly? Can he give you the resources it takes to believe and to live the Beatitudes. Live them and live in the kingdom of God now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Jesus, for, for opening yourself up in these words to us. And as we explore them, we find you and find your heart and find your love for us, your mercy within our own circumstances that might scare us, but we find you in them. May they inspire us. May they possess our hearts more than anything else in this world so that we stay close to you our entire lives and live like you would have us live, live like you lived, and be people of grace 
as we offer grace to others and be people living in peace as we offer peace to others and throughout our difficult circumstances, trusting in you as we trust and live in the kingdom of God. Amen.